0: This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. This is a story called Circles in the Frost. It was written quite a long, long time ago, and it was one of my first forays from poetry into short story writing. And I'll just read you the preface to it. For many years, I was a member of Healy Writers in Sheffield. Between us, we produced a yearly magazine of an unusually high quality, and overall the experience was a blessed influence on my own work. We were a diverse group, some authors for children, published or un, novelists, me, and a couple of article writers and faction authors, one of whom is trotted out on TV each time there's a UFO needs explaining, which he never does quite, and I quote, when I ask him the question, he says, Bill, the truth is out there. So that's as near as we're going to get to that. But for many years we were a happy bunch until, as many of you may have found in such organisations, The group dynamic changed. Now, change can be a good thing, but this one wasn't. It killed the group. And this little note is my way of saying R.I.P. to the good times we had. One good thing that the group gave us was the ability to challenge each other and ourselves. The following story was written in response to just such a challenge. The aim was to explore envy and the way that emotion could lock you down into a pattern of life. So... Have you ever envied something a close friend or relative has? Her way with the boys, her dress sense, her appetite that never gains her any excess pounds, no matter what, or even her father. In this story of youth, shared family and football support, two teenage girls circle each other and their relationships, each envying the other their instinctive traits, until love brings them both circle. Circles in the Frost What time is it? Shirley rummaged amongst the cuffs of her neatly pressed blouse for the watch she'd forgotten in her haste. She could see it now ticking away to itself on the staff toilet window sill. She hoped it would still be there on Monday. She rubbed an itch on the end of her nose. Her hands smelled of clean leather beneath the fragrance of soap. Half past four, said Glenys, withdrawing into her duffel coat. She looked at the tops of her new shoes and bit down hard on her disappointment. "'You'll be here soon,' said Shirley, looking round the corner for her boyfriend. She twisted a few blonde strands between the fingers of her left hand, her purse clutched tightly in the other. "'It doesn't matter.' Glenny's voice lifted no higher than her fading hopes. "'I'm sorry,' said Shirley, which wasn't much comfort.' But Saturday afternoons off were rare, and she had done her best. It really doesn't matter, Glenys was still pretending to admire the foyer lights reflected in her black patent slingbacks. Shirley had brought them across for her last night, special for today. Glenys heard a rattle of loose change that was Norman's habit, and looked up. I'll be going then, said Shirley, stepping backwards to link arms with Norman. ''I'd settle for him,'' thought Glenys. His hand had been warm and dry when he'd patted her cheek at the bonfire. Right now she would have settled for anything except this incredible falling sensation of being stood up. She looked up at Norman and imagined being stroked instead of patted, and not just her cheek either. ''Whatever you want,'' she replied. The wasted time caught in her throat and threatened to choke her. I'm sorry, Shirley, I didn't mean to snap. Shirley unwrapped herself from Norman and hugged Glenys briefly. Wait till I see him on Monday, new under-manager or not, he'll get the length of my tongue. Norman stepped up to Glenys, smoothed the hood of her duffel with one hand and patted her cheek in quiet embarrassment. See you, kiddo, he said. "'and his hand carried a bitter tang of copper coins, "'but now away from the scent of the bonfire. "'The rest of him smelled animal and warm. "'His palm was still dry. "'Never mind, love,' said Shirley, retrieving Norman. "'We'll walk you to the bus stop. "'No, no, you mustn't. "'Norman's got the tickets now, and if you don't hurry up, "'you'll miss the cartoon,' said Glennis. "'I'll be all right. It's still early.' OK, said Shirley, glad to be freed from the responsibility she always felt for Glenys. Don't talk to any strange men. Glenys smiled. She watched as Shirley clattered and Norman jingled up the steps into the pictures. If my hand was in his pocket, she thought, it wouldn't be his change. I'd be rattling. She jinked across the busy afternoon street and walked down the general to the bus stop. Leaning against the shelter was a skinny youth in tight black jeans and a leather jacket. His hair was fanned into a crest of peacock blues and magentas that gave him a curiously symmetrical appearance. In his nose was a gold ring that broke the illusion. On the back of his jacket, in lurid letters like dripping wet blood, it said, The Cure. Hmm, thought Glenys. I'm not convinced it's working. She remembered Shirley's last words and kept three good paces away. The youth smiled at her, and she shivered. The bus arrived, and Glenys let him board first. As he went inside, he half-turned to see if she was following him, only to see her nip upstairs to sit with the chokers on the top deck. By the look of him, she'd thought, I'd sooner have a good cough. Polly was just down the road from the shoe shop where Shirley worked. She lunched there, subsidised thanks to Glenys's pass. They tried to meet every day, but if lectures ran over then Glenys was late. She felt guilty, but couldn't think why. Shirley just found another man to talk to. This Monday she was early and sat down at an empty table, with her back to the aisle. Shirley sneaked up and skipped a tray off the back of her head. "'Hi, kiddo. Happy Monday!' "'Hi, Shirley,' said Glenys, without looking round. "'Have him under yourself. See how you like it.' Shirley returned to the table, her tray brimming with the thickest, fattest, sweetest things the canteen could devise. Glenys looked on, wistful, but no longer surprised as the cottage cheese and crackers found its way unerringly to her hips. The conversation fell into brief silences, with rapid fire from Shirley between courses. Derek says he did turn up, stood across the road by the top of the general because he wasn't sure if I was having him on or not, didn't want me and my friends, oh, pass the sauce, Glenn, hanging around a street corner somewhere laughing at him. Oh, this pie's nice. Swears blind he didn't see me, asked what I was wearing, so I told him. Oh, he says, that were you then? I didn't recognise you with your smock off. Ha, ah, you should be so lucky, I said. Do you want that cracker, Glenn? Well, your hair was all shook out and wiggly, he said. ''Do you mind?'' I said. ''Oh, thanks, Glenn. Cost me all the three quid to have that styled. Anyway,'' he says, ''I bet you have me fixed up with some right old boiler.'' ''Here,'' I said. ''She's a very nice girl.'' ''Yeah, for a boiler,'' he said. ''I bet that's always been her trouble. Bet she weren't a patch on that little cracker I saw getting on the bus. Well, I nearly poured shoe cream down his soup trousers. Would have served him right, too. ''What's up with you, girl?'' Glennis sat there, open-mouthed. "'Glen?' Shirley was fighting hard to forego a mouthful of banana and double cream until Glennis replied. "'She lost.' On Wednesday nights, Shirley met Glenys for coffee in a little cafe below the north stand. The single room with its red and black formica counter was dominated by an ancient boiler. The chrome had long since rubbed off and the copper and brass were now plated with condensation and tannin. The stools were high and spindly and Shirley's legs wrapped easily around them. Glenys kept trying to get two feet onto one rail and gave the impression that a fall was imminent. Her Doc Martins didn't help. She'd been at college all day and most of the evening. She was tired now. She caught sight of herself in the mirror behind the counter. Her pale brown hair was as lank as the pies in the cabinet. And who's going to unravel my cling film, she wondered. The walls of the CAF were covered with fixture lists from the 3rd Division except for the corner where the toaster had played one Saturday lunchtime. The scorch marks were almost hidden by a poster of a matador killing a bull that would have kept the place in corned beef sandwiches for a year. Shirley was wittering on about nothing much, and Glenys sat savouring the magic names that had been roared overhead, Liverpool, Liverpool, ghosts from her twelfth year, Wednesday, Wednesday. That was when her father had died. Suddenly, without warning, Uncle Bob had taken her and Shirley to all the home games he could manage, just like when Dad was alive. Before then, they'd taken it in turns to shepherd the two chattering red-and-white imps between the turnstiles and the police horse's legs. For one fleeting moment, she was back on the terrace, her dad's gabardine wrapped around her shoulders, against the drizzle, her feet tap-tapping in the cold, and her face an open wound of support. Then it was gone. Shirley was still wittering, following Norman up the path, and I said, "'Hey, hang on a minute, I can't keep up in these heels. "'Then take them off, you daft bugger,' he said. "'Hey,' I said, "'mind your language in front of a lady.' "'And he looks round and says, "'I can't see your glennis anywhere.' And she wouldn't wear four-inch heels to go for a walk in the park. Well, I could have smacked him right there, except he's right. Glennis couldn't look at the poster of the bull with a sword through its neck, without thinking of Norman and Shirley. You goad people, Shirley, she said. You really do. For the last three weeks, all he's had from you is how clever Derrick is and how much brighter he's made the shop. And to cap it all, you even get to work on time. That's as likely as these clowns, she jerked her thumb at the ceiling, ever getting back into the First Division. Shirley watched her coffee cooling as she spooned the knickerbocker glory into her pursing mouth. She knew Glenn was right. But men were only things with urges. It wasn't that she minded the urges, she had some of her own, but did they have to approach her urge first. She looked over the loft of her breasts, and wondered what it was like to be able to see the tops of your thighs while you were sat on a chair. Glenys would know, but she didn't like to ask her. One look at Shirley's chest, and the men became a single hormone, with a smile like the Cheshire cat. With December came the damp and long dark nights. The air was cold but far from crisp and Glenys walked through it as if she waded in marshmallow. Oh, come on, Glen, the shop's closed in an hour. Glenys shuffled a little faster behind Shirley. Her arms were full of boxes and the carrier bag in her left hand was cutting slowly through her fingers. She wouldn't have minded so much if any of them had been hers. "'Don't look at me like that, Glenn. You could have stayed at home.' Glennis looked up at the coloured lights strung across the road. The bulbs steamed in the early evening mist that was turning gradually into drizzle. "'Fat chance,' she said. She stopped outside a large department store. "'Look, Shirley, just how far down this list have we got?' "'I can't remember,' said Shirley. "'You've got it somewhere. I think it's in the boots' bag.' "'Is that the one trying to guillotine my elbow, "'or the one that severed two fingers off my left hand?' said Glennis. "'Oh, don't be so bloody dramatic,' said Shirley. "'Come on, we'll get a coffee in here.' "'What he you still stood there for?' "'Oh, sorry, Shirley, but as you walked away, "'the string slipped through the ring in my nose, "'and for a minute I was lost.' "'Shirley stomped off into the cafeteria, "'with her nose high and her shoulders back. 2 middle-aged men sucked in their stomachs "'and moved aside for safety.' "'Find us a table, Glen!' she shouted, knowing that Glenys would be right behind her. The two men smiled at Glenys. Life was safer now that Shirley had passed, and Glenys watched their stomachs resume the customary hang over their trouser waistbands, and returned the smile grudgingly. She picked one of the side tables over against the wall, in the corner was an old lady, slumped inside a once fashionable top coat with a large astrakhan collar. Three empty coffee cups patterned the white formica with rings. The old girl was drifting in and out of sleep as Lennis watched. She piled all the parcels into the empty seat against the wall opposite the old dear and sat next to them so they didn't spill out into the aisle. Shirley arrived with two lukewarm coffees and sat next to the old woman, glancing at her suspiciously. "'It's all right,' said Glenys. "'She won't bite.' "'Shh!' said Shirley. "'Don't be so bloody rude.' "'What are you going to do, Shirley, when you're old like that?' Glenys nodded towards the old woman. "'And people think you keep pickle walnuts in your stocking, "'and nobody gets out of the way of your chest any more. "'Eh?' Shirley squirmed in embarrassment. Her face was red over the coffee cup, her eyes darting sideways. "'Glenys!' she hissed. "'Are you daft?' No, said Glenis, pointing, but she's deaf, and her hearing aid has just fallen out. Shirley kicked her under the table. That's why I've got to do it now, she said. Do what? asked Glenys, flexing life back into her fingers. You know. Love and that, said Shirley. "What? Well, what's that? asked Glenys, teasing. You know, men and that. Despite her initial brashness, Shirley found herself becoming embarrassed. Her face flushed. Glennis leaned across the table and caught one of her hands. Look, Shel, you're only eighteen. You've got all your life. I won't, said Shirley, with tight precision. Always be eighteen. The old lady in the corner stirred and began to snore quietly. Glennis pressed her fingers into Shirley's hand. You're afraid, Shel, aren't you? That's it, isn't it? Don't be. You got me, babe. Shirley's eyes filled with tears. She propped her head in her hands and dripped salt rain into the coffee. Sorry, Glen. she managed, through lips that were wet and trembling, her voice barely crossing the table. I've never told you or anyone. I'm scared. And it's because of Uncle Fred. Glenys sat up sharply. Dad, what about my dad? "'She felt the sting of tears behind her own eyes. "'I don't understand. "'Well, don't you see?' "'Shirley wiped her nose on the back of her hand, "'then remembering where she had put her handbag, "'rummaged in it for a tissue. "'You see, I go home every night and look at my dad, "'and then I see that picture where your dad stood with him "'like two peas in a pod. "'Don't you see? They were twins!' "'It could so easily have been him instead of Uncle Fred.' And that scares me to death. Come on, Shirley. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Nothing wrong with your dad's ticker. You still don't see, Shirley's eyes welled again after the outburst, like storm drains after sudden summer thunder. She sobbed quietly for a moment. Her breath racked unevenly. This time, quieter, almost to herself. You still don't see. What I do see, said Glennis, wearing a smile she hoped would be infectious, is that your mascara is halfway to your chin. Stop it, Glen. Shirley recovered slightly. A half-smile quivered her lips before giving up. My dad's the only one that loves me for me, and not just for, well, you know. And without him I'd die, or I might as well. That's not true, Shirley. There are hundreds of men out there that will fancy or find you attractive, maybe, uh, just for yourself. And even if it was said, Glennis gently, you still got me, babe. The old lady in the corner smiled, her eyes closed, but missing nothing. She only sniffed, then cleared her throat. Thanks, Glen. Then you got me too. Thanks, said Glenis not stopping to think how she meant that. They arrived back at Connaught Terrace and Shirley fumbled with the door, then flew through the rooms looking for her father, discarding her coat on the hall floor. Glenys stood there, hung like a Christmas tree with boxes, bags, presents, and couldn't move. Her left shoe was down the sleeve of Shirley's coat and her right one in the left hand pocket. Aunt Babies? Ah, Glenys, what are you playing at, girl? Double a drop, I think, Auntie. Give us a hand, will you? Mavis took the parcels from her and stacked them on the first stair. Glennis untangled herself from the coat and hung it on the hook behind the door. She put her arm around Aunt Mavis and hugged her. Soon be nineteen, said Mavis, returning the gentle pressure. My and you're a bonny girl. Well, thanks, Auntie. Parts of me are and parts of me aren't, but it seems they're all the wrong parts. Away with ye, Glennis. "'She took the stray lock of hair behind Glenice's ear "'and tapped lovingly on her forehead. "'Your words in here will melt the hardest heart "'and show it how to laugh. "'I'll tell you, kid, make them laugh "'and they'll follow you like you were the pied piper. "'Thanks, auntie.' "'Glennis found Shirley in the kitchen, "'clinging like a leech to Uncle Bob. "'Hi, kiddo,' he said, "'pulling strands of Shirley's hair out of his mouth.' What's up with this one today? Oh, nothing much. But Glennis was suddenly jealous. Try as she might, she still couldn't look at Uncle Bob without feeling that she had just woken from a bad dream and it was all right because there was her dad patting Shirley the way he always had. Nothing more than usual, anyway. She turned and walked back through the dining room into the hall. Mavis caught her arm as she walked stiffly past. She recognized the look and pulled Glenys' coat to unfasten the top button. Coats don't keep out all the cold, she said, no matter how tight we keep them fastened. Sometimes you have to let it in, and with your love and memories turn it into something warm and good. But a bit at a time, hey girl? Glenys found she couldn't speak. She nodded. Mavis kissed her forehead. Give my love to your mum. Glenys still couldn't seem to get both feet on one rail. She'd just given up when the cafe door clicked open and cold. December air condensed the steam above the boiler. She put down her cup in surprise. "'Hello, Norman. What are you doing here?' "'I kid. Cheryl can't make it.' Norman sat on the stool just below and to one side of the bowl. Glennis didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Derrick's asked her to work late, seeing as it's nearly Christmas.' "'And you got the job of running along to tell Glenys, eh?' she said. "'Actually,' he said, "'it was my idea. Shirley said you'd be all right. "'Well, thank you very much, Norman. It was good of you to think of me.' "'Norman's tongue stumbled. "'I... uh, I... I do... sometimes.' "'His eyes focused anywhere except on Glenys. "'With the lists behind her, she felt like a fixture he'd missed "'and was now too embarrassed to ask if he could still play.' "'Oh, that's good,' said Glenys, patting his knee. "'It was dry and warm, and the cloth was rougher than the palm of her hands. "'The sensation was far from unpleasant. "'I suppose you're going, then, now you've done your duty?' "'Er, uh, no,' said Norman. "'Well, so,' said Glenys, as she fumbled with the horn-shaped buttons of her coat, "'am I to infer that this is a rare privilege, "'and that you are over eighteen and here of your own free will?' norman looked down at her you say the strangest things glen yeah i do don't i she said opening the door for him Shirley tapped her feet impatiently. The archers were killing her, but what the heels did for her legs was worth the agony. Derek was late. She'd twisted his arm mercilessly for this date. It was strange. He didn't seem to want to meet her outside work, yet all the male customers did. Shirley couldn't understand it. She'd wondered if he was married or gay or something. A bus pulled up across the road, and a little way down from where Shirley stood... The people got off and separated without acknowledgement. She heard the muffled ting of a bell and the bus pulled away in a roar of dark fumes, taking its light and its warmth with it. Suddenly, Shirley was living her worst nightmare. She stood alone at the corner of the park, away from the pooling street lights, Her ponytail twitched nervously across the collar of her sheepskin as she looked around for help. There was none. Across the road... An outrageous figure stood at the bus stop, staring at her. Shirley could feel his eyes on hers. He stepped slowly to the edge of the pavement. Shirley's feet slid sideways, taking her two steps around the corner, but it was darker there. She slid back. The youth was still there, still looking. He looked down at his boots and stepped forward into the road, his eyes on Shirley's own white saucers. Shirley fled to the next gate some fifty feet down the hedge and stopped, breathless. The youth now stood where, moments before, Shirley had been tapping her heels. She moved away from the hedge to stand under a street lamp and search in her handbag for the metal tail comb. The street was deserted, Corrie would be on the box, and this was all she had. Her thoughts fled to Norman. She would make it up to him tomorrow. If there was tomorrow. The youth swung round a the corner, then started to walk slowly in her direction. Come and get it, mate, she thought violently, then suddenly found her feet had more sense than her anger, and took off up the road as fast as four-inch heels would allow. The youth padded softly after her, the air-wear sole springing and making light work of matching her pace. Shirley found herself more repentant with every footstep. Dear God, if only. Oh, Dad, Mom, please. Behind her, the youth began to shout. She slowed and pushed aside her panic to listen. A rapist wouldn't shout, would he? Shirley, Shirley! She stopped. Oh. My. God. The light glinted off the ring through his nose. Derek? It was Tuesday lunchtime. And Glenys was late. Shirley had added another man to her collection. Glenys shook her head at him from behind Shirley's back. He got the message. "'What is it about you, Glen?' asked Shirley. "'That's another one you have frightened away.' "'Oh, don't worry about it, Shirley. All the boys in here see me park my broomstick in a morning, and the black cat's a dead giveaway. As for the pointed hat—' "'Oh, shut up, Glen,' said Shirley.' "'swapping an empty dinner-plate for a fruit salad and cream. "'Life's one bloody joke to you. "'Ooh, touchy, touchy. "'And little Derrick not behaving himself then?' "'At the look on Shirley's face, "'the words turned sour in Glenice's mouth. "'I haven't been out with Derrick since last Thursday.' "'Shirley bit the words into pieces. "'If it's any business of yours. "'And don't be so sarky.' Come on then, Sheryl, out with it. Gypsy Rose Glenis knows all, sees all. You're doing it again. Shirley cloaked her eyes. He stood me up again last night. Again? said Glenis. You never told me about the first time. Well, he just passes it off in the morning at work, says, Morning, Shirl, and smiles like he's pinched the cat's milk. I don't say anything. I wouldn't want the other girls to think I was bothered, would I? Glennis watched the fruit salad disappearing one rapid chunk after another. I got him in the stockroom this morning and said, ''What's up? Don't you fancy any more?'' He says, ''Sorry, Shirley, you're a nice girl and that, but but you're a bit too, well, different for my taste.'' ''I ask you, me, different?'' Glennis couldn't help but smile. He says, ''I'm too straight.'' Glennis nearly fell off the chair. ''Stop it,'' said Shirley. He didn't want his mates to see us out and me dressed like that. It was the gold ring in her nose that really broke Lenny's up the next lunchtime. That evening the park was littered by a fine white frost. It haloed the moon, glinted along the rail that held the swings, and stole the colour from the grass. The ducks were asleep amongst the reeds of the little island in the boating pond, and a thin film of ice surrounded the boats moored there. Glenys was warm. She'd taken Aunt Mavis's advice, and let a little of the cold in. With the love she still held for her father, and the memory of his laughter, She'd it into the good man walking beside her. She'd never hide behind her smile again. Her Doc Martens matched his Cuban heels stride for stride and never felt one inch out of place. They met Shirley at the gate, shivering in her leather skirt and fishnets, her feet tapping circles in the frost. There stood a jacket twinkled star-like in the streetlights. "'What time is it?' Lennis asked half-past eight. Glennis reassured her, you'll be here soon. Shirley shuffled her boots in the frost. It really doesn't matter. Norman took gently on Glennis's arm. I'll be going then, she said. Whatever you want, snapped Shirley. Norman put his arm around Glennis's shoulder, and drew her closer as they walked up the park in silence. The gravel crunched resentfully beneath their feet. She slipped her arm, around his waist as far as she could reach. Norman's hand made for the change in his trouser pocket. Glenys beat him to it. Well, I hope you enjoyed Circles in the Frost. I hope you enjoy making your own Circles in the Frost. And I'm going to allow Martin Bragger to play you out with the music that I've borrowed, to highlight the podcast and separate the places and times. And this is a number called Never Let Go. Martin wrote this for his mother, actually, when she was in hospital uh, with cancer, from which she recovered. And so I'll let Martin take you away now with Never Let Go.
1: Just remember There's a new day Coming on And remember that this It's oh, almost When you're just about to break up And you let enough steam And you wish and you could Hold on tight, never let go, never let go, never let go. go. you're proud Are you proud you won? Never let go.
0: Let. Well, thank you, Martin Bragger I'm so proud to know and be a friend of this guy. His music. His lyrics, his voice, are all so sensitive and emotional. And they just bring me out in goosebumps every time I listen to him. So that's all for this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I think you'll find Martin's song entirely appropriate to the content of the story. And keep looking on our podcasts. We put them up regularly. And if, you, if there's something on there that you particularly like, please don't forget to click the Like button. Or share it with your friends. We need it to be passed around. Good stuff needs to be passed around. And I think some of what we put out is very good stuff. So this is goodbye from Bill. And a meow from Nelly. Goodbye.